my announcements this morning, I failed to mention that the nieces had their little baby girl, Denver K. I believe it's K. Denver K. Um, so if you get a chance to shoot uh, them a text or an email, uh, let them know of your great appreciation <clears throat> of them and their ministry into your lives as they are coordinating and managing the children's ministry. And um, I also failed to mention that the Hodges, we have another baby soon to be born, and the Hodges have a basket now that's out in the foyer out here. If you'd like to bless them a little sprinkle of some sort, they would be greatly appreciative. Continue to pray for them as well. Well, this morning, I'm going to deviate from the book of Matthew and just speak briefly on... um, Mothers, and when we talk about Mother's Day, it's not necessarily for the sake of celebrating the ideal of Mother's Day as it's been turned into somewhat of a commercialized um, thing in our culture, but it's that which it's to remind us of God's original design. That in the beginning, God created man. In the image of God, He created, and it says, them. Male and female, He created them. We know that all the way from Genesis onward, we have our idea of anthropology, that men men and women have been equally created in the image of God. And the image of God is that which existed long before the dirt of the ground that he used to form the the body that uh, he then breathed into the breath of life. And when he breathed into Uh, that formed body of Adam, the breath of life, the very image of God indwelt that body. Um, And that soul of Adam's will live forever as God is an eternal creature. Now, Adam's not eternal, but Adam will from that moment on have existence eternally. He's either going to have that eternally in the presence of God or not. And so in celebrating Mother's and Mother's Day is really a celebration of God and of God's ideal for humanity. And so I don't do this often. I think I looked, it's been several years since I've taken time to give a little Mother's Day shout, but what I try to do is not just puff up the mothers, even though y'all deserve that on any other day, I mean on every other day that is, especially this day was what I was trying to say. I almost shot myself in the foot there. Um, Started to dig that hole a little too deep really quickly. but mothers are to be celebrated every day, but I, <clears throat> I like to use this Lord's Day <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to remind us all of God's ideal, God's ideal, when he made them male and female, he created them in his image. So this is something for mothers, but it's also something for all women, because women uh, in particular are ones who become mothers. Now, I know our culture is trying to confuse a lot of people. Um, We've heard a lot of really bizarre things said lately with regard to gender and biology and such. But as Christians, we get our biblical perspective, our biblical worldview from the Word of God. There's no confusion there whatsoever. God made them male and female. God gave them corresponding bodies that went with maleness and femaleness. And that femaleness that was put into a female body is a woman. And women have babies. And so this is for all women because women in particular are the only ones who can become mothers. 
particularly. And some will say, yeah, but sometimes when a mother dies, a father can play the role of both. Well, a father plays the, takes the role of both parents, you might say, but a father can never be a mother, ever. He can try his best. He has men work in the image of God, and we have some, if you will, some character traits that we share with the, the feminine part of, our, of, of a woman. We're, we have some compassion, I've heard, it's it's true that we can have some compassion and and we can have some even even some nurturing uh, tendencies within us on rare occasion for some of you brutes um, but for for the rest of us we might even have tendencies in that direction as well but you can just you cannot replace what God has placed within His creative design His creative mandate of husbands and wives. I found something. Uh, that was written in tribute to mothers in decades past that I just thought I would share with you this morning. It's, it's very touching. It says, The young mother set her foot on the path of life. Is the, lay, is the way long, she asked. And her guide said, Yes, the way is hard and you will be old before you reach the end of it. But it, the end will be better than the beginning. But the young mother was happy, and she would not believe that anything could be better than these years. So she played with her children and gathered flowers for them along the way and bathed them in the clear streams. And the sun shone on them, and life was good. And the young mother cried, Nothing will ever be lovelier than this. And then night came and a storm And the path was dark, and the children shook with fear and cold, and the mother drew them close and covered them with her mantle. And the children said, Oh, mother, we're not afraid, for you are near, and no harm can come. And the mother said, This is better than the brightest of day, for I have taught my children courage. And the morning came, and there was a hill ahead, and the children climbed and grew weary, and the mother was weary. But at all times she said to the children, A little patience, and we'll be there. So the children climbed, and when they reached the top, they said, We could not have done it without you, mother. And the mother, when she lay down that night, looked up at the stars and said, This is a better day than the last, for my children have learned strength in the face of hardness. Yesterday I gave them courage, today I have given them strength. And the next day came with strange clouds which darkened the earth, clouds of war and hate and evil. And the children groped and stumbled, and the mother said, Look up, lift your eyes to the light. And the children looked and saw above the clouds an everlasting glory, and it guided them and brought them beyond the darkness. And that, that night mother talked of Jesus and said, This is the best day of all. For I have shown my children God. And the days went on, and the weeks, and the months, and the years, and the mother grew old, and she was little and bent. But the children were tall and strong, and walked with faith and courage. And when the way was rough, they lifted her, for she was as light as a feather. And at last they came to a hill, and beyond the hill they could see a shining road, road and golden gates flung wide. And the mother said, I have reached the end of my journey, and now I know that the end is better than the beginning. For my children can walk alone, for they walk with God. And the children said, You will always walk with us, mother, 
even when you've gone through the gates to the Savior. And they stood and watched her as she went on along, and the gates closed behind her. And they said, we cannot see her, but she is still with us. A mother like ours is more than a memory. She is a living presence. A living presence. Isn't that good? The opportunity of mothers to leave a lasting imprint and impact on the lives of not only their children, but other, other people's children and other people is it's incalculable. A life well lived for the glory of God will leave an imprint for a lifetime. It was Thomas Edison who said, a mother was the making of me. Theodore Roosevelt, um, he said, the mother is the one supreme asset of the national life. Listen to Isaiah 66, 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. This verse is undoubtedly one of the greatest compliments mothers could receive when God wanted to use a metaphor to explain the compassion he has for his people. He compared it to a mother's compassion for her children. From God's perspective, mothering and comforting are synonymous. And isn't it good that God wants to comfort us in the same way that a good mother comforts her children? I read a story recently of an elementary teacher who uh, spent an entire day teaching her class about magnets. And she taught her class um, the many values of magnets, and she let them know that on the preceding day that they were going to have just a little pop quiz. It's a little, you know, young class. And so they come in the next day, and, and she has this pop quiz made up for them. And uh, it says, and on the, on the test, it says, um, name something um, that has six letters, and the first one is an M. And uh, to the teacher's surprise, when she got those papers in, over half of them had the word mother. Not magnet, but mother. Now, uh, that story probably bears a little resemblance to your home, doesn't it, mothers? You almost sometimes probably feel like a magnet in that you're perpetually going along and behind your children and picking up after them and cleaning up after them. <clears throat> um, whether uh, that's the, 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 at some point dirty Diapers, um, laundry, dishes, uh, dishes that have that oatmeal that's dried on all night long and um, you need like a chisel to get it off kind of oatmeal. Uh, and then comes, you know, obviously things like bedtime stories, uh, the never-ending character training. Did I say never-ending character training? Never-ending character training. Uh, when you discipline a child's heart to the Savior through discipline, um, you remind them that Jesus died on the cross for such horrible behavior for the forgiveness of sins and such. And, um, and you, you, know, you spare not the rod to spoil not the child, and it, you draw their heart closer to the Father, and you assure them this is going to hurt you more than them. They never believe that, but it truly does. And, um, and all along the way, you're thinking to themselves, my child is a very intuitive, quick-to-learn, loving child. And then it seems no more than five minutes later, Royce, you turn around and you have to re-imprint that same character training lesson on the heart of the child almost immediately. And so mothers uh, can sometimes be overwhelmed 
by the demands that come with being a mother. And did you know, perhaps I didn't think about this, I just discovered this in my looking this week, but the first time the word mother is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 2.24. I knew that it was here, but I just hadn't thought about it this way. But uh, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother. So you got father and mother mentioned. But the first time mother is mentioned here in Genesis 2.24 is in the context of that precious child um, cleaving to someone else and shall cleave to his wife. They're going to leave and cleave. And when you think about the amount of effort that a mother has put into the life of this child who is leaving in order to cleave to form their own family, you might say that Genesis 2.24 is to a certain degree understated with regard to the role and the responsibilities that a mother has indeed. But it seems as almost as, as if God is reminding us to keep our focus at the end of the journey, uh, the goal of our parenting is to raise godly seed who will proclaim his name to the next generation. We want them to marry well. We want them to marry and to raise a godly family themselves. So moms, dads included, but moms, keep your eye on the prize. The labor is seems perhaps uh, very wearisome from at, at times, and it is, because the labor and the toil of getting uh, your child from uh, birth to leaving and cleaving is a high cost indeed, a lot of heavy lifting. So enjoy your children while you have them because soon they'll be gone, not meaning gone permanently, but potentially, uh, hopefully just gone out of your house. Now, in having sermons like this, I know that it has the potential of bringing up lots of emotion. And so it's to a certain degree it can be a sermon that while I intend to elevate God's role in the life of a, of a woman who is aspiring to motherhood at some point, I also realize that it can also bring perhaps some hurt or remind remembrances of things that bring difficult feelings along as well. We have people in here this morning, uh, moms and dads, who have lost children. We have, we have people in here who have lost mothers. There's, there's a lot of things that could be at play. We have individuals in here who perhaps didn't have mothers who raised them in the kind of way that we may be talking about with regard to loving God and loving their children and raising them the way that God's word would have them. So in speaking about and elevating God's ideal for women and mothers in particular, I realize that it brings with it a great deal of potential for hurt in our lives. So my prayer and my hope is that as we leave here, especially you women, that you would perhaps maybe if there is such a pain in your life that you would recognize the need to just kind of deal with that before the Lord, lay that at the feet of Jesus, continue to ask the Lord for the healing and that soul wound that perhaps is there that's been, you've been kind of nurturing for a long, long time. And, you know, in life we tend, we tend to have soul wounds, don't we? See, today's Mother's Day, so I'm talking about mothers, but when we get to Father's Day, if I decide to talk about dads, I don't know if I will or not, but perhaps we will. Um, I didn't have a dad. I mean, I did biologically, but he didn't raise me. He left my family when I was two, so I've carried along these, quote, soul wounds. In other words, every time one of my children turned the age of two, I held them and I wept bitterly because I was two years old when my dad left my family. And I, try, I find it hard to conceive, how could a dad leave a child? And I was the child lost. And so I have to perpetually remind myself that I have a heavenly father who's never abandoned me and never will. 
And then I have spiritual dads in my life that have invested in me, and they, they never left me, and they never will. Now, they may pass, <clears throat> pass along and go to heaven, but not in that, in that way. So I know what I'm speaking of. I, just, I had a very faithful mother, but I didn't have a faithful dad. So this, this kind of, these kind of sermons can cut in, in different ways. But please understand and know my heart as we talk and share about some of these ideas. Amen. We want to look at what God says with regard to God's kind of woman, God's kind of wife, God's kind of mother. And just briefly elevate some of these things off the pages of Scripture to give a, to give a basis. And, and isn't it right that this is where this should be happening in the church of Jesus Christ? We're never going to get this, uh, either whether it's on a Mother's Day or a Father's Day, and we're glorying in the fact that God made them male and female. He created them. We're, we're not going to get this out in the world or in the culture in which we live. We're just not. This is the place that we have to herald these things. And unfortunately, the voice, the resounding voice that's out there in the culture, we've seen it infiltrate churches all over the place. And churches start trying to accommodate that voice because they want to keep particular groups happy. They don't want them to be unhappy. They want to keep them happy. But sometimes just speaking the truth in love is enough to send people in a tirade, is it not? So thankfully when the church gathers, we can gather in here and around the, the word of God as if it's a, this um, bonfire. Where did my Bible go? I need my Bible. Did I leave it right there? It is. I'm starting to look for my bonfire, and I noticed that I didn't have it with me. Thank you. Yeah, because I'm going to have you at some point open up to Proverbs 31. I'm going to go ahead and crack mine right there. But this is the place where we need to be celebrating these truths, right? And so, you know, I'm preaching, we're preaching through the book of Matthew. That may take 10 years. I'm just kidding. I don't know. But in order to get there, we may never get to talk about mothers in particular. So we're peeling off today to take a peek at mothers. That was a joke, by the way. I can tell there's a little nervousness, like I'm being serious. That's not serious. It's not going to take even more than, than five years, I promise. <laughs> it won't even take two Maybe, maybe another one. I don't know. At any rate, um, let's start looking at this passage right here, 1 Timothy 2, uh, and show a particular pleasure of God in, in his role for women and thus mothers. Now, some of you are going to find that this is a very particular passage for me to use right out the gate, but just bear with me, okay? It says, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And so, again... Um, this might seem like an odd verse to, to jump into, but to, notice verse 15. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So we see Paul here writing to Timothy about women being preserved through the bearing of children. And it seems that it would go without saying that if, if women bear children, uh, she's indeed uh, to be a mother to that child. She doesn't just bear children and then just leave the child with no consequence. So the idea of being preserved through the bearing of children, the bearing of children would seem to obviously be indicative of the fact that she's then a mother and that motherly aspects and functions and roles would come with that child that she then bore. Okay, I think you see where I'm headed with this. So what does Paul then mean? that women will be preserved through the bearing of children. It seems to me that what he's getting at here is that 
this preserving aspect uh, or role you might think of, or this, this, the, the preserving virtue or, this, or the preserving task or the goal of women will be in the particular design that God gave them and that of bearing children. And thus, uh, the subsequent aspect of having born children, that of raising children, and then needing to raise these children to be godly kids. Now, um, in saying what Paul says here, he's by no means indicating that this is all that a woman's going to do in their lives, that this is it. There's all kinds of other things that they will do, but in particular, this is a part of the function and design for a woman that God gave them very specifically. So even though it was Eve who was deceived and fell into, into that transgression, uh, we need not look down on her or despise her or women in general, for God's redeeming role in her life is that the continuation of humanity will rest on her shoulders. And I think that we can all see that uh, indeed the preserving quality that should prevent us men from thinking less than women is the fact that God has left it up to women to be those who are the preservers of the human race. He did not leave that to us. That's a very unique design that he gave them and should be relished in by all, reveled in as well. Now, some may say, well, how, how do we know that this involves more than just a physical act of bearing children? Look again at verse 15. See where it says, if... So you got the bearing of children, if, and it says, they continue in faith and love and continue in sanctity with self-restraint. It would seem that the raising of godly children is where this faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint kicks in. It becomes part of that aspect of the raising of those children and, and producing a godly generation of young men and women through these mothers uh, who are going to have thus a spiritual influence in and over those children whom they are bearing, whom they bore. And so this is where a mother's obedience to raising her children God's way uh, kicks in. And we can see that in the list here of these attributes that each one of these are aspects of her virtue. See where it says, in faith, if she continues in faith, in love and sanctity with self-restraint, this faith here really doesn't seem to have this idea that if she just continues in saving faith. Well, if she, she continues in saving faith, it seems more that if she continues in faith, in the faith, if she continues to live out her faith, living in the faith, raising this child that she bore in faith, if she continues in faith, and thus if she continues in love and demonstrating to this child whom she is born the idea of love, agape love, I think is what the Apostle Paul makes mention of to the church in Corinth that we all are to be uh, emulating as we seek to be more like Christ. So in faith, in, in love, in agape kind of love, in sanctity, in uh, active devotion, in active obedience to Jesus Christ over all things in her life if she continues in these things, if she continues in self-restraint or we might say self-control or having a godlike manner as would be fitting for this child to make observations of. In other words, the preservation, the, the honor that's due a woman because God is using them to continue the human race through childbearing, they need to be those who are modeling for them what a Godward life looks like. In faith, and love, and sanctity, 
and self-restraint or self-control, which is, again, a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is, again, one of the reasons it seems that the church needs to be the place that values these ideals in motherhood, in womanhood, and what and in God's design and role for women, we need to be able to articulate these things. We need women in this church to embrace these truths and grab hold of the mantle of God's word and say that when God gives me a husband, when I leave and I cleave and I have children, I have responsibilities as a child, as one who's bearing children because God has given me this glorious responsibility and I need to continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-control in the raising of these kids. In the way I live before them, they need to see these truths, the truth of God's word, the truth of the faith lived out in me. Now, I'm not by any means trying to make a hard distinction and say that, that men play no important role in raising their children. That's not at all what I'm trying to articulate. Um, but mothers... If you think about it, by the very nature of spending the majority of a child's formative years under her watchful eye and on her apron at times, play a massive role in the shaping and forming for each and every generation of both men and women that will ultimately shape and give direction to a culture, a state, a union, and more importantly, the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? And when I look at our culture, state, and nation, I immediately realize that there's a need for God's kind of gal to be uh, strengthened within the church of Jesus Christ so that when she's out living her faith and having love and sanctity and self-restraint and walking in a glad submission to the word of God, she knows she's not alone. It can perhaps feel a little bit lonely out there, can't it? And that's why we're not intended as Christians to find our community outside the body of Christ. We find our mission outside the body of Christ. We find those to whom we are to love and to share our life with and to share the faith, our faith with. But we're not to find our community outside the body of Christ because their values are different. And, and what does darkness and light share in common? That's why it's so important. The Word of God says that when you get married, you need to be married in the faith. You don't marry someone outside the faith. Because when it comes to the raising of children, what are you going to do when, when the rubber hits the road and the Christian parent wants to raise their child in the church and the non-believer says, no, not, not over my dead body, you end up with problems in the home. And so it's for these kind of basic reasons that the church is the right place and should be heralding these truths. Because to the glory of God, uh, parents, and in particular, mothers have a shaping influence in the lives of their children. Listen to these words from Thomas Edison about the role his mother played in his life. He said, I did not have my mother long, but she cast over me an influence which has lasted all my life. The good effects of her early training I can never lose. If it had not been for her appreciation and her faith in me at a critical time in my experience, I should never likely have become an inventor. I was always a careless boy, and with a mother of different mental caliber, I should have turned out badly. But her firmness, her sweetness, her goodness were potent powers to keep me in the right path. My mother was the making of me. The memory of her will always be a blessing to me. Thomas Edison. Now, 
the likes of us, we probably aren't bearing the name of a Thomas Edison. But let me tell you, Ben Averett can say the exact same thing about his mother. She was the making of me. Without question. Under God's guidance. Amen from others. Another poem on influence and mothers being the makers of lives that God's entrusted to them. It goes like this. I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day. And as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded at my will. I came again when days were past, the form I gave it, still it bore. And as my fingers pressed it still, I could change that form no more. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day and molded it with my power and art, a young child's soft and yielding heart. I came again when days were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impress bore, and I could change it nevermore. So if, if we ever underestimate the influence and power of discipleship, with, especially with regard to parents and children, we have sorely missed uh, the meaning of, of making disciples of our first disciples, and that's the children in your home. Continuing in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint will be like planks and guardrails that you will use to help shape and mold those moldable hearts until you come back one day and they can be shaped and molded no more. But the contours of life that you led them down will be what shapes them evermore. Amen? Now, in giving us a good picture of kind of how this influence peddling, if you want to call it that, of how to to pour out that which God has poured into us, uh, we see a really good model of this uh, in Titus 2, in verses 3 through 5. It says that older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so we see here in the, in the text that these older women, they're to do certain things, be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. They're not to be nipping the bottle too much. That's an interesting one to throw in there, right? Um, but teaching, teaching what is good. They are to be teaching what is good. Now, oftentimes this passage, and it's, and it's rightfully used that older spiritual women in the church are doing this with younger spiritual women in the church, and they're showing these younger uh, women, encouraging the younger women to love their husbands. But let's not allow this to evade our basic observation that obviously a mother is an older woman to her young daughters. And as an older woman to her young daughters, she is going to be encouraging those young women someday, those young daughters who will turn into young women, to do some certain things by example and by precept, to love husbands, to know how to love their children by example and precept, 
to be sensible, pure, etc. Workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be honored. These are things that, um, and you know the old adage, it, especially with kids, it says it goes something like, you know, things are more easily caught than taught, right? Things are more easily caught than taught. So when I say by by deed and by precept, the deed. If, if, if all we have is precept, but our actions belie that, um, they're, they're going to sniff. Ch- kids are the best at sniffing out hypocrisy, if you haven't ever noticed that. I mean, they can sniff that stuff out so fast. If the doing of the one thing, but saying of the one thing and the doing of the other, they can pick up on that stuff so fast. And so um, older women, mothers in the home, having young women that they're training in their home, this is by precept and by deed something that can and should be happening in the home. And this is how that, that, um, that modeling aspect of keeping the faith and love and sanctity is, and self-control is to dem- be demonstrated on an active basis as keepers of the home. And at, at the very end, we notice it says, so that the word of God is not dishonored. Because God is the one who stands above all of his creation. God is the one that made them male and female. God is the one that speaks life into all these relationships. God is the one that designed biology and said, this, this biological form will be the bearer of children, etc., etc. This is all under God's good design. And as his children, we want to be those that are living for the glory of God alone. And so this is why we need a faith community. This is why it's so important to be attached to a local body, to a local church, and in particular, even a small group within a church so that you can even have more intimate conversation with regard to the application of faith to life. Amen? This is why I mention this every week in announcements. I've had a few on occasion say, why do you repeat the same thing over and over? Because it's so important. There are, we still have people at Jinx Bible Church, not many, but we still have some that haven't committed themselves to life group. And we believe in the value of that so greatly. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over and over and over and over until we get 100% participation. And I probably will still keep saying it because hopefully we have some new people coming in that need to hear it. Life on life. Iron sharpens iron. And no greater place for iron, the iron of an older woman to sharpen the iron of a younger woman than when it's a mother to a daughter. Now, again, this does happen in the context of church, but this would absolutely be happening in the context of a home. Now, one last passage that I want to show you, a couple passages, a couple verses, that really accentuate and highlight the, the glory of God's creation in, in, in women and the kind of gal that God wants uh, these women to aspire to to and to be and to be like we see in the uh, the the P31 gal so if you have your bible you can open to proverbs 31 i've got one passage i'm going to point out that i don't have a powerpoint for but in proverbs 31 we have uh, the 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 extolling of an excellent wife and it and it says it says right here in verse 10 who can find who can find um well for some of the young guys in the church here that are perhaps looking for an excellent wife, um, where you find them is going to be an extremely important aspect of your life. If you find them in a local church and they're already committed to a local church, uh, you're probably going to f- discover that she has some worth that's far above just the 
observations that you initially made of her. So be careful when you go looking because sometimes you, 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 you need to make certain that you're finding her in all the right places as well. But look at verse 10. We see here that God's kind of gal is to be priceless and to be viewed as such. An excellent wife who can find her worth is far above jewels. God's kind of girl is rare. It's, we see here that her value is far above Jewels, so whatever jewels you want to throw, diamonds, emeralds, pearls, any kind of a costly jewel, jewel, it just simply is letting us know that God's kind of gal, a woman after God's heart, committed to God's unique design for her to be a wife someday, to be a mother someday, that indeed is priceless, and that's what we as guys should be seeking for, an excellent wife whose value is found in her relationship and identity with God. Secondly, God's kind of gal is also faithful. In verses 11 and 12, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. This speaks about her purpose in life here in these two verses. It seems that she's the one that's made a decision of the will to do her husband good all the days of his life. And if we notice in the, in the passage here, we see that it doesn't say anything with regard to her husband being a perfect man, thus deserving of such treatment. In Christian counseling, I've heard this so many times, this the idea that he just doesn't deserve me to be this kind of person. And I'm always saying, listen, you're not doing it for him, you're doing it for God. You're not living for him, you're living for the glory of God. He gets the overflow. He, he gets the, the goodness that should come from the aspect of living with God, right? And so it's a decision of the will to do a man, your husband, good all the days of her life. God's kind of gal is indeed faithful to God's to, to what God values. Thirdly, God's kind of gal is sacrificial. She's a hard worker. We see in verses 13 and 15, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it's still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. The primary ingredient for any successful venture in life of, of any sort is going to be this thing right here. It's called hard work. She works hard with her hands, and she also has a delight in the work that she does. In other words, she's delighting in the fact that God has given her a unique role, and she doesn't shirk her responsibilities. She's a sacrificial, hard-working kind of gal, and she, she realizes God's made me a woman. I'm not just choosing that. God made me this way, and as a result, I have responsibilities. And I'm going to delight in those things because I'm living for my creator who's made me this way. And so we see that she's diligent in caring for her house, caring for her home. Those that also seem to be uh, working portions for those uh, in her, for her maidens. She has some, some maidens working for her as well to keep her house running at night. Now it says that she's like a merchant ship. And kind of like the Song of Solomon, you have to understand the right usage of these analogies. You would never say, hey, babe, you look like a good old merchant ship. You just wouldn't do that. You might say you just recognize that what it's talking about is that she, uh, day after day, week after week, month after month, she's keeping the, the fires of her house glowing. She's 
bringing goods from afar like a merchant ship would, and she's keeping her house well stocked. There's, there's a lack of nothing uh, for this hardworking, industrious kind of gal. And it says of, of, of her husband in verse 23 that he's known in the gates. Uh, when you've got a, a gal like this, the husband is known in the gates when he sits, sits among the elders of the land. It just would seem that the implication here is that he's, he's known amongst his peers as being the guy who got that gal, who got the good catch. Um, other men know which men have married well and which ones seem to be just enduring. It kind of becomes obvious. The longer you walk with people and talk with people and live life with people, these kind of things just become kind of inherently obvious. And you're going to be known by the way you treat your husbands here, it seems to be indicating, um, at least when the husband is sitting among the gates with his peers. So be faithful to God's design for your life. Make certain that you keep treating your man the way God would want you to treat him all the days of his life, even when he's not particularly the most deserving of such kindness. Fourthly, God's kind of gal is spiritually minded. In verse 30, and this is probably the, 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 um, the, the, uh, the what would you call it, the, the pot from which this beautiful plant grows is from a spiritual desire to be uh, God's kind of gal. She recognizes that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, so that we're here, we have this unique language right here, the fear of the Lord, a woman who fears the Lord. So she seems, this woman seems to be rightly planted in the garden of God's grace, and she understands who she is in relationship with her God. She fears the Lord. And this is why it seems particularly that she's able to not be overly charmed um, by the deceitfulness of beauty, because it does say that it's deceitful and that beauty is vain. So charm being deceitful and beauty is vain. And these are things that obviously in the, the culture in which we live, these are things that are highly sought after by almost everybody, is charm and and beauty, but when they become the idol of your heart, they become vanity. So it, this is a comparative thing. This isn't saying that a woman needs to be homely, not beautiful, or, or have no charm and just be crass. That's not what this is saying, but by contrast, uh, between seeking after these things or fearing the Lord, the one who fears the Lord, the one who has spiritually prized herself rightly, she needs to be a beauty and she needs to have charm because her husband will delight in these things, as will other people be able to benefit from these things. But the, the core of who she is is that she has a fear of God in her, and the Word of God says she, she is the one who shall be praised. She is the one who someday when she stands before her, the creator of all things, the maker, mighty maker of heaven and earth, will hear the well done, good and faithful servant. Because she recognizes that she is indeed but a servant, a doulos to the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus she lives for him. I have an ending poem, if the shoe fit wears it. If you have a smile for mother, give it now. If you have a kindly word, speak it now. She'll not need it when the angels greet her at the golden gate. Give the smiles while she is living. If you wait, twill be too late. If you have a flower for mother, pluck it now. 
place it gently on her bosom. Print a kiss upon her brow. What cares she when life is over for the flower that bloom below? She will have her share up yonder, scattered at her feet galore. Give it now. Give it now. There perhaps might be some of us here this morning who need to make a phone call later today and maybe make amends with a mother in a relationship that perhaps is strained or broken. And perhaps you're saying, I've tried that and it's not possible. Well, then write a letter, share your heart, never give up trying all the way into the end. Because someday soon you'll, you'll be like me and your mother won't be available to be reached the side of heaven. And so someday when I see her again, there, I can say, hey, thanks, one last time. But while you still have the opportunity, give it now. Amen? I'm just scratching the surface. There's so many aspects within the Word of God that highly elevate womanhood, design, role, function before God. Let this just be a springboard that might cause you to look deeper into other aspects of the Word of God on what the beauty of womanhood truly is. But moms, women, soon to be wives perhaps, longing to be wives, wives longing to be mothers, etc., etc., however that may go, 